0: Love TALK Radio oh, we'll Love it, we'll okay, I got it, I got it. for Still smelling like Tell that I'm looking for an increase. We start fat the a nigga name in the nigga switching lane to lane like Put the Benzo for the end zone Back to the Benzo when the end
1: low. Put the old bitch from a new bitch From a new bitch, something like a nympho But the game wrong when I came in it. Get money, you're going the same You can't stop me if you try You motherfucker cause the devil is alive Big gun, big whip Rich nigga talking big yeah Double cup, no risk. Double love for the blow bitch Two mil on that I'm not five
2: Welcome once again to our weekly LA program. I'm your host Minister Joe Lewis, and you listen to another addition of free on the inside. I bet you didn't expect that. This morning we're going into another segment of Black History called Black History Show History. We're going to talk about our brothers, our our, our, our militant brothers, Michael Meigs, uh, Black Panther and other organizations, because that's a part of our history, and we don't want to forget that. Uh, I got a video, uh, video audio clip I'm going to share with y'all. This has come off of YouTube. We're not going to be able to play the entire thing, but I just want you to catch up on it, okay? And the Black Party, the Black Panther Party, is a self-defense for African American revolutionary party. It was founded in 1966 in Oakland, California, by Huey Newton and Bobby Seale. The party' original purpose was to patrol African American neighborhood to protect the residents against police brutality. Sound like what we're going through today? Ain't it? Help change the life. Help change the life. You know, Black Lives Matter. All those things are still active today. And guess what? We had men on the on the battlefield at that time. We got them today. Now you're going to hear an audio clip from uh, uh, from our uh, our startup program from the Black Panthers. Kick back and enjoy. I'll listen on YouTube.
3: The stories in the news today remind me of the sentiments of almost 50 years ago, when many young black people felt that policing for them was unfair. During that time period, being black in America meant that you didn't walk down the street with the same sense of safety and the same sense of privilege as a white
2: person. There was absolutely no difference in the way the police treated us in, in Mississippi than they did in California. They may not have called you nigger every day, but they treated you the same way they did in Mississippi. The police jump on you, and you up, put the gun at your head. This is what we were going through on a daily basis. I'm tired of it.
1: I'll stay here long
3: Now, as then, the need for change is real. Nearly every black man I know has a story about an encounter with the police. I myself have been stopped, searched, and had a gun put to my head for no rational reason. One response to police brutality in 1966 was the founding of the Black Panther Party
4: for self-defense. We use the uh, Black Panther as that symbol because of the nature of a panther. He doesn't strike anyone, but uh, when he's assailed upon, he'll back up first. But if the
5: aggressor continues, then he'll strike out. When I first met Hugh and Bobby, they were uh, in the process of forming an organization for uh, primarily self-defense. We didn't plan to have a nationwide organization or anything like that. We were organizing, dealing with the problems in Oakland.
3: In 1966, California law allowed civilians to carry loaded weapons as long as they were not concealed, as do many states today. And the newly formed Black Panther Party took advantage of the law.
4: The uh, California Penal Code, Section 12020 through 12027,
1: and also the Second Amendment of the Constitution guarantees the citizen a right to bear arms on public property
5: we said
4: we're going to carry our
5: guns and we're going to follow the police. And if they stop someone, we're going to stop. We're going to maintain a legal distance, and we're going to observe these so-called law officers in the performance of their duty. <laughs>
0: we're
3: coming around the corner. Stay facing where you are. We would stop. We would get out of the car. We would walk up to the scene. Those who had rifles would carry them in the open
4: and clearly visible. We would stand at a a distance where the police couldn't say they were interfering with their arrest or their detention of the individual and uh, make sure that uh, there was no brutality.
3: The police were confronted by citizens who were not just voicing their opinions but were armed.
4: They would uh, take the weapon and pass it across like this, and it would sweep right over the officer.
3: No one would do anything until a policeman ejected around in the chamber. Then we would all eject
4: rounds in the chamber, and all up and down
0: the
3: street,
4: you could hear this clack,
0: clack,
4: clack, 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 and then when the Traffic stopper. The incident's over. They bring the weapon down across by like this, and get back in their car and drive off. It was pretty intimidating.
3: The Black Panther Party spread quickly, partly because young African Americans across the country had similar experiences with the police.
4: We would get calls from Atlanta, Nashville. Raleigh, North Carolina, from Washington, D.C., Bridgeport, Connecticut, every city, small or large, you can think of wanted a chapter of the Black Panther Party.
3: There's no question that the Panthers were provocative, but there's also no question that law enforcement exaggerated the threat they posed and overreacted.
4: Do you feel the nation is in trouble? I think very definitely it is. What is the answer? The answer is vigorous law enforcement. That's
3: the only answer. That's the only answer.
4: How about justice? You hear a lot about justice
3: with law enforcement. Justice is merely incidental to law and order. FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover today asserted that the Black Panthers represent the greatest internal threat to the nation. Hoover said the Panthers have perpetrated numerous assaults on police and have engaged in violent confrontations throughout the country when Hoover identified the Black Panther Party as the number one threat to the uh, national security of the United States at a time when they're fighting in, in Vietnam, you know, of course that was crazy, but it was politically very effective. And it says to law enforcement at the local level, we can take the gloves off. We don't have to respect the civil liberties, and, and we can go after them with everything we need. Police well, we say there was sniper fire throughout the early
4: morning hours, so they moved in Police and then and black began clash in Houston, New Orleans, and other the cities. The Black Panther police out in Chicago today. Police and Negroes fought a pistol
3: battle. Obviously, we are nowhere near this today. In fact, we may be at a transformative moment. People of all ages and races are recognizing the problems with policing in black communities and are
0: protesting. Now,
3: there's a chance for real change. But police departments and political leaders must not overreact as they did 50 years ago. They need to listen.
1: When I say no, you say fuck.
2: Oh, man, what a great uh, short video audio clip of the Black Panther! Remember that the Black Panther was formed in 1966 in Oakland, California, by Harry Newton and Bobby Seale. Uh, the party's original purpose was to patrol African American neighborhoods to protest to protect the residents from police brutality. Sound like what's going on today? We're gonna bring our co hosts in today. We're gonna continue our topic of Black History Show History. We need to find out how, everything we can regarding our history and just try to uh, just continue the journey, continue to stay on the path that God have chosen for each and every one of us. Amen. And so the call-in number is 310-982-4126. You can call in and be a part of the program. And so we're going to bring in uh, Brother Daniel here in just a few minutes, and, and so we're going to have another audio clip here because we want to celebrate black history.
0: going to end myself up as well as you. So, yeah, so what it's going to be like.
2: We're switching over to Black Entertainment right now. Got a musical selection coming up here. Hope you enjoy.
1: Will
2: get to the promised land You'll listen to another episode of Free On time. I'm your host, Mr. Joy Lewis And we'll continue our saga of Black History Whoa.
1: You've given up on three meals a day. You've given up because somebody has defined you as a white man slave rather than God's child. You're not put here to be a white man's footstool. You're put here to represent the very best in God's world.
2: You just heard something there from the... Uh... Uh, from Jesse Jackson, we'll just continue to do Black History Month, and this is our militant program here, because we want to bring up the other brother that went before, that kind of paved the way, that made the difference in our life today, uh, for criminal justice, uh, social program, or whatever it may be, because they helped us out, and I'm talking about this the generation that coming behind them, called Black History is Your History, we have our host on the line this morning, Brother Daniel, good morning, Brother Daniel.
6: Top of the morning to you, top of the morning. Good morning. You. How are you
2: doing today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great, man. This is a great little old program that we're having here, man. We're shifting gears and stuff, so we thank God for the people that went before us, the Black Panther Party. <laughs> <coughs> not not only was they a militant group, man, but they also uh, helped in the community, man. They provided transportation. They, they provided food and job uh, job awareness and things. So they done a lot of things in the community at that time associated with black people in the sixties. Now what do you have for it just Yeah. Yeah,
6: you know, well I got a little bit of I got a little bit of more to say, you know, and, and uh yeah, I know I'm a little bit older than you and you know, uh a lot of this um uh, stuff basically me and you we lived through all this. You know, it's nothing like we can't ever say that we didn't see. We didn't, basically we lived through it because they had a little deal up there on Second Avenue where we was at. They had a, a branch of the Black, uh, prominent parties, and it didn't last long because they kind of got ran out of town a little bit. Uh, but uh, you uh, know, the way I was seeing that uh, uh Bobby Seale and Eldridge Cleaver and and Huey P. Newton, I mean, they just put a a, a impact on black people because basically our leaders. And in the early 60s, we're going through all sorts of uh, turmoil between whoever started speaking out. Basically, something happened to them. You know, they either got assassinated or somebody did something to corrupt them, to make them look bad. And basically, if you tried to speak up, you had one side, you had Reverend King. He was nonviolent. Then you had the the uh the black Muslims which were kinda on the other side of the spectrum and then you had this new party with the black p- Panther Party basically they were patrolling their neighborhoods trying to protect their own people from the police which were biased and racial and basically and I was looking and I'm saying, you know who the, pre- uh, the governor was of uh, Ronald Reagan. <laughs> you know Ronald Reagan? Yeah, was in California, yeah. He's in California and he was as even before he was the president. You know what I'm saying? And basically whatever your leadership endorses, that's what your your congregation or whatever your government or your state basically it does you know so if you are doing biased things and racist thing on the top it will trickle down and what goes on in your police force your government houses. and i'm saying I'm, what i'm saying is basically we were living in some perilous times and we you know really there had to be something done about it and you know basically we saw uh U. P newton going out They were following the police, and then all of a sudden they started having violence happening. And then at the same time you had a, uh, what's what's his name, Edgar J. Hoover saying it's the most greatest threat to the internal security of the country. We have to do something. And basically they sent the government or whoever, the CIA or whatever inside California, and they'll trickle down drugs and weapons inside the neighborhoods. That's where basically crack cocaine came from. Was California, Oakland, California, Inglewood, and all the little towns around there. They 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 brought the drugs in the neighborhood, you know. And if you look at the movie, it shows you. You know you, you know the movie they got out? yeah, it my tells you it. what happened. And 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 what was happening, you know, basically, my dad told me a long time ago, anything worth having is worth fighting for. So you're saying that you want to be free and you oh. want to have freedom be out for your children and one day to walk the street and don't have to worry about getting harassed, pulled over. And every time you're getting pulled over, you're getting a gun thrown in your face or you might even get shot. So somebody along the way, Along this non-violence deal that um, uh, Reverend King done, they had to basically between Malcolm X and Huey Hugh P. And Hugh Newton and Eldridge Cleaver and Bobby Seale and the rest of me. And they had to, they had to make a stand. You know, you understand know what I'm saying? But at the same time, they put their lives in the jeopardy because basically they got in prison. They put these guys in jail. Rem Lewis, you know that they put him in jail. Yes, Some yes of them they got did.
2: killed. Yeah, those were difficult times killed. back in the life of a black, a black man, a young black man. And we, and we heard about the documentary. We lived through a lot of that stuff.
6: Yeah, and uh, you know, at the same time, we had musicians come out with stuff like uh, "The Last Poets," and we had uh, Women in America." You know what I'm saying? That's your favorite tune, in the revolution. <laughs> you know. You know, yeah. And these, you know, I, I can just, I can just imagine. You know, I remember this picture that I see Bob, Huey P. Newton sitting in this wicker chair, and he got one gun in his hand and he got this spear in his other hand. You know what I'm saying? And that was kind of like the international poster for blackness. You know. I used to go to the thrift stores, and he had these little stores, and that poster would be posted up everywhere. I, man, I, I bought me one. I put it in my room. I, I said, man, you know. But at the same time, time moved on. You know what I'm saying? Uh, some of these non-violent violent acts, basically, they they got done. Because, but at the same time, our leaders kind of got, they kind of got after after. Martin Luther King got assassinated They kind of got Kind of passive They got afraid You know what I'm saying You know and and basically you know, I'm not saying nothing about Jesse Jackson But I mean Jesse Jackson Did all he could you know what I'm saying He did what he what, he, what he's all about But as far as You know having bringing Somebody that's all I'll get down in the trenches and I'll fight with you You know we didn't have that. Seems like it's lacking nowadays, you know, because all all the Caucasian race basically fears as a strong black brother. They fear you. They fear you. They fear you. It, it starts all the way from you know, I'm going go through a little bit now. I'm talking about uh, uh black history. You know, black history is uh. Rose Houston month is is uh, in February, which is basically it's the shortest month of the year, and so basically we're trying to put everything black people did in the twenty eight, nine, twenty nine days. You know, we're trying to put all this and talk about the different things that all these black men, geniuses, artists, politicians, athletes, musicians, all what they did. In a two hundred or three hundred year frame, and sometimes it's it's kind of hard to do, Rev. Lewis. But we're trying to do it. Okay, now we're saying that when when a black man was brought to America, he was put here in order as a because our bodies were strong and our skin could take the heat. And we could be able to work in the fields we could pick the cotton foam, we could pick the tobacco plants, and we could do the indigo dying i got a i you know i did a little uh survey of uh uh DNA, uh ancestry uh training and I found one of my ancestors uh he suffered from arthritis because one of his main jobs. When he had, when he was uh, in, in kind of in the slavery, world, he had to dye these, uh, these cloths. He had to sit his feet in the, in these dye, this black dye, and they dyed cloths, and that was his job. He stepped on them. You know what I'm saying? You ever seen him before, Ram Lewis? You seen him? He stepped on. He stepped on the tie-dye, these shirts, and sometimes jeans and stuff. And then, in this, and this dye got in his blood system. In some kind of way, it made him have arthritis, and later, and that's what he suffered from because that's occupational, it's an occupational job. And at the same time, the black man. His was strong, they could do in fields, and basically he was a commodity for them to make money for So at the same time, they were big and strong, and so they started working, and they started figuring out, well, we started uh, fighting, fighting. You know what I'm saying? Basically, it was uh, kind of a little bit for boxing, they had these little contests where they put one brother against another brother, you know what I'm saying? And one brother had to win out. It's kind of like the gladiators did back in the day. And so they they was betting money against them and betting money against them. Pretty soon, uh, the law started getting on about you know, and the uh, the other people that abolished slave abolished started saying that was. In, it was it was wrong for doing something like that. So later on, men started wanting to be boxers. They started from England. Boxing came from England. And they basically had a set of rules that they wanted to box by. But seeing again, like everything else that we get kinda of put on the side about, they didn't want us to be with them in the boxing because they couldn't beat us. You know what I'm saying? They couldn't beat us. Our man was too strong for them, and they couldn't beat us. So, basically, we had to start our own little boxing. Our boxer. They call it the color Box, heavyweight boxing champions. And it was a lot of them, Rev. Lewis. It was a lot of them. It was a lot of 'em, And it was one guy, his name was Sam McVay. They had one named Sam Lefford, They had one named Gene Joe Genlati. And this guy named Sam Lurper, his name was Black Tow Baby. He was a bad guy. He was real tough. He said one of the toughest man he ever seen. Uh, uh, and then the top of the line was brother Jack Johnson. Y'all know about the Jack Johnson, don't you? The story about they call him the Galveston Giant. And he was a big man, he could fight, but basically he was kinda of like a guy, he toyed with his opponent. You know what I'm saying? And basically, that's where Muhammad Ali got some of his uh, fight tactics from. You know, Ali was a fight critic. He, uh, he kind of did kind of like a, you know, like a LeBron Jones, uh, James say he do. He watches all the basketball films. He watches all the great players, and he analyzes every move they do. Ali did the same thing, too. He analyzed all the different fighters, all the way from Joe Lewis. Jersey Joe Wilcox. He knew all they said, different techniques, and all what they did, and when the rope, he knew that's where he learned the rope-a-dope from. And so basically, um, Jack Johnson was a big, strong man, and nobody could beat him. So they had this little contest called the Great White Hope Search, you know, to find somebody to beat this Galveston Giant. But at the same time, Like everything else, they had to, you know, bring up some laws, some rules, because uh, Brother Johnson was kind of making money. He was living large. He was having fun. He was driving cars. He was dressing good. At the same time, he was talking much noise. You know what I'm saying? At the same time, he was walking around with white girls. And that was a no-no for those days. And so they voted in a law called the Man Act. And uh, he kind of violated this law because he took his wife across the state line, the border, and basically that was a felony. And he had to leave America in order to uh, keep him getting arrested. And with a couple of years, he basically had to surrender himself with him. He did some time in jail. Well, that's another thing, too, about you know most of the boxes we see, a lot of them, been to jail, you know. They've been to jail just like the rest. They're all humans just like the rest of us. You know, we all find fault. Do bad things and wrong things. George Foreman, if it wasn't for the it wasn't for uh the job cause, he'd probably been a bad guy. If it wasn't for the policeman catching Mohammed Ali when he was gonna beat up this guy for stealing his bicycle. No telling where Ali would have wind up. You know? You know, but boxing has and sports has a way of getting the black man and putting him in another position and building his life using all his ability that he has. And later on, when he when he wants to, you know, scholastically better himself by going to school or whatever, he could do that. But most. Young men, even today, most football players and basketball players, they use sports as a springboard in order to make money. You know what I'm saying? In which somebody told me they're one injury away from doing things. Get an education while you got a chance to do this. You know what I'm saying? And I'm talking to all black men and all young blacks nowadays. If you go to college Go to school, learn all you can,
0: graduate.
6: I know the sports world and all this money, making fast money, and all this look good, but later on, you're going to need something you can fall back on. And I'm talking right, Brother Lewis? Hello. Yes, I hear you, there,
2: Brother Daniels. Brother Daniels, we're going to okay. stop here for a minute and play a musical selection. I'm going to be right back with you, okay? I think right. you get on some points there. All right? Okay. So All right then, so here we go here.
5: With your brother, recognition don't come cheap anymore. You my lawyer, you my doctor, yeah, but somehow you forgot about me. And now. Peace go with your brother You the kind of man who thinks he got to have his own way I'm going All of my children Are gonna have to pay For our, pay for our Mistakes
0: someday
2: Yes And until then May peace guide your way a uh, Musical selection that From Gil Scott Peace to your brother As Brother Dan was saying that seemed like I our um, people that lost their way. It's like a black race have lost their way. And uh, you know what we have to do is stand in the gap, keep encouraging one another. You know, as you log into this program, free on the inside, we say through our text, it says to inform you, to encourage you, to challenge you to be all you could be. That goes both ways. I need to be informed about, about the illness of the society, I need to be encouraged to keep going. I need to try to make a difference. I encourage you today, try to make a difference in the lives of God, people, life of a young man, life of a community. Now, Brother Daniel, as we have you out here, now we're going we're gonna to go ahead and make that shift. There, We thank you for that information.
6: That Amen. You shared Amen.
2: And we, now I'm we want to talk you about, did, you, know, James
6: as, James Lewis, you know,
2: as I was growing up, you know, What's I used up? to enjoy these westerns, and there used to be this cow- cowboy on there called the Long Ranger. And I was thrown mm-hmm. back, but I realized that best Reeves was a black man in Indian Territory, and Tonto was there mm-hmm. winning. And just we're gonna play a, a few minutes of a, a audio clip on that, and we'll come back and we'll share some more things with you. You know, right. so I want I want everyone. The calling numbers three one zero ninety two forty one twenty six. Call in and voice your opinion regarding this of this program. Bass Reed, the real long ranger.
4: Fearless men who seemed to have ice water in their veins when trouble came. You've probably heard of some of them, like Wild Bill Hickok, Bat Masterson, and Wyatt Earp. But today we're going to talk about one of the most amazing lawmen of that era who you may not have heard of, a fellow named Bass Reeves. born into slavery in Crawford, Arkansas, in eighteen thirty eight. He grew up on a plantation owned by William Steele Reeves. William Reeves had a son named George. George eventually became a colonel and served in the Civil War. It appears Bass Reeves served under him. Their relationship went south during a card game. They had a disagreement over something and it turned into a fight. Bass was a big man who stood six foot two He beat up George and then fled into Indian territory. Reeves lived with various Indian tribes until he was freed by the 13th Amendment in 1865, which abolished slavery. His time with the Indians proved to be very fruitful. He not only studied many of their ways, but he also learned different Indian languages, which served him well in the future. As a free man, and now no longer needing to hide for beating up the colonel, Reeves must have felt reborn. With a new lease on life, he moved to Arkansas and began trying his hand at farming. He met and then married a woman named Nellie Jennings, and they had 11 children together. In 1875, U.S. Marshal James Fagan was told he needed to hire 200 deputy U.S. Marshals. Fagan had heard about Reeves and how he knew the Indian Territory and that he could speak several Indian languages. He hired Reeves, and Reeves became the first black deputy to serve west of the Mississippi River. The rest, as they say, is history. Over the next 32 years, as Deputy Marshal Bass created an astounding record. He is believed to have arrested more than 3,000 people and killed 14 outlaws all without receiving a single gun wound. His tracking skills and his ability to shoot equally well with his right or left hand gave him a serious advantage over most criminals. Reeves once hunted down a notorious outlaw named Bob Dozier. Dozier was wanted for a number of crimes, including rustling, horse theft, robbery, land swindles, and murder. Reeves tracked him into the Cherokee Hills, which is now Oklahoma. Dozier learned that Reeves was tracking him and he sent word that if he didn't stop, he would kill him. Reeves sent a message back to Dozier that if he'd stop running, he'd bring him in unharmed. On the evening of December 20th, 1878, Bass heard the sound of a gunshot and then heard a bullet whistle by his head. Reeves saw a shadow moving through the trees and the two exchanged more gunfire. It was then that Reeves could see Dozier through the trees, To his surprise, Dozier was laughing loudly because he thought he had shot Reeves. Bass took that opportunity to jump out from the shadows and ordered Dozier to drop his gun. Dozier dropped into a crouch and was about to fire. Reeves was ready, and he killed Dozier with a shot in the neck. Bell Star was another notorious outlaw and liked to associate with famous criminals like Frank and Jesse James. At times, she was wanted for stagecoach robbery and horse theft. She was a crack shot and allegedly carried one or two pistols with cartridge belts across her hips. But Reeves had gained such a fierce reputation that as soon as Starr learned that Bass Reeves was coming after her, she turned herself in. Reeves was also known to disguise himself and would sometimes pretend to be an outlaw or a hobo to get closer to the criminals he was hunting down. Another thing notable about Reeves was his remarkable honesty and integrity and respect for the law. After his own son was wanted for the murder of his own wife, he tracked him down and he arrested him, despite being very disturbed by the incident. His son was tried and convicted, but later given a full pardon. His son Benny went on to become a model citizen after this incident. Reeves also arrested his own church minister when he discovered he was selling illegal alcohol. In 1907, after 32 years, Reeves retired as a marshal and became a police officer. He summed up his attitude toward the law once when he said, maybe the law ain't perfect, but it's the only one we got. And without it, we got nothing. Bass Reeves died in 1910 at the age of 72, of kidney disease. In May 2012, a bronze statue of Reeves was erected in Fort Smith, Arkansas, and in 2013, he was inducted into the Texas Trail of Fame. It's been speculated that Reeves may have been the inspiration for the Lone Ranger. Morgan Freeman has been talking about making a film about Reeves for years, but that has never come to solution. With all the terrible films Hollywood produces these days, I think it's way past time for a major motion picture about Bass Reeves. Don't you?
2: A black legend, Bass Reeves, a a sheriff in Oklahoma Territory. Brother Dan, yes, we're getting ready to get on out of here. We're going to let you have the last words uh, uh, based on what you have been studying and what you have to bring to us this morning. And we want to thank you for all your comments and your research.
6: I got a poem. I got out this book, uh, Reverend Lewis. It's um, from the Harlem
4: Renaissance
6: book. And it's by uh, author. He's a well-known poet. His name is Claude McKay. And the title of this poem is, If We Must Die. If we must die, let us not be like hogs, haunted and pinned in an indigorous spot. Where around us walk the mad and hungry dogs Making their mark at our accused lot If we must die, oh let us nobly die So that our precious blood may not be shed In vain That even the monsters we defy Shall be constrained to honor us through death O kinsmen, we must meet the common foe. Though for our number, let us show us brave. And for thou thousand blows deal one death blow. What thou before us lies the open grave? Like men will face the murderous, cowardly packs. Pressed to the wall, dying, but fighting back. Hey, Amen. That's a wonderful poem. And what yes, the is. poem is saying, if we got to die, let us die honorably. You know what I'm saying? Everybody got to die, Lewis. You know what I'm saying? Everybody going to die. But if we got to die, let us die honorably and do something that's worth something. You know what I'm saying? Do something. Give your life to something that's going to help other people better themselves for the future.
2: Oh, That is so true. You
6: know what I'm saying? That's what that's what Brother McKay was saying back in those days. This this poem was written back in 1919. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? And those some bold words even back in them days. You know what I'm saying? Yes, they was. I was talking about this a while ago. We had two presidents. We had Woodrow Wilson and brother Ronald Reagan. And both of them presidents didn't do nothing for black people. Woodrow Wilson was one of the uh, most prejudiced presidents they ever had, you know, back in them days, back in 1918. 19, this was a terrible times for black men. We still going out of Jim Crow laws. He didn't do nothing to help us. That's why we went around in circles for all those years after we got freed like that, you know. And back in the early 30s, you know, when uh, we got Roosevelt, he kind of passed a little bit of laws. But then again, we were still the invisible men, you know what I'm saying? We still was invisible they looked at us, but they kept passing by us. So through Black History Week, this month, we're saying that we're trying to tell all everybody that are listening to us today to be strong, hold yourself up, hold your head up proud, and be glad to be black. It's an honor yeah, it to is. be black.
2: And you know, you we we'll still have a lot of challenges but I thank God that he had never left us nor forsake us. And you know, and he'll never put no more on us that we can bear. And so I wanna be mindful to myself and to you that all that even though this a, the political climate doesn't look right and we don't see like things are changing but they are. And there's a current. There's an underlying current. There's a revolution and it will not be televised. Brother then, we're getting ready to get on out of here.
6: Amen. Y'all enjoyed the Georgia uh, show today, Reverend Lewis. It brought back a lot of memories today. And you say the revolution won't be televised, and we got one in America. Brother Marvin James is telling the truth. He was a bank, he was a poet. He's also he was a prophet. He was telling the truth.
2: As we get ready to close out here with uh, some Marvin Gaye inner city blues. And, you know, those right there bring me back to the times that we would all was willing to help each other, going to school, in the neighborhood, of uh, hmm. supporting businesses, all those things there. And they still are really Ricky. but, you know, they, well we don't notice those things, we don't forget about those things.
6: Yeah, it's not that... It's, it's it's basically I'm not gonna say it, but you know it is. It's your media, it's your money, the people we look at, your TV sets and your movies and your your record albums that you put out. You know, they're controlling our youth. We need more men move. like Marvin Gaye to speak the truth. Yeah, let
2: our let our men and women know that jail isn't for them, that they have a future.
6: Yeah, we got a future. Next week, Brother,
0: we're
6: we going to bring a little bit a more. Honor. One of the last days in the month. And we're going to have a little bit more about the athletics and the entertainment business of Black History Month. So look forward to listening to us next week.
2: And that is so true, that is so true I want to thank you for being a part of what we're doing And, and I want to encourage you to continue to call in this program That number is 310 Again, that number is 310 982 And you two can lend your voice to this program And tell us how good God has been to you And let you know that the revolution is live and will not be televised What can you do to make a difference in the life of a community? Brother
6: Daniel, close out the word of prayer and then we're going to get on out of here. Heavenly Father, as we go on through this week and through this day and through the end of this month, I ask you to help black race be uplifted. Help us and uplift us and tell us that there's a new direction ahead, In there's also a new direction that we want our world to be in through the black race. Help our youth. Tell them they got a future.
0: It's not in killing.
6: It's not in drugs. It's not in wearing chin and shoes. It's not in the... Uh, bringing the, bring this and doing that and being that and this and that it's all about Jesus Christ so in the mighty name, the holy name the mighty name of Jesus Christ we pray amen, amen,
2: amen amen, amen you'll listen to a uh, audio clip of uh, Marvin Gaye, Inner City Blues it, said, it makes you want to holler but we know that we're not hollering in vain we holler with hope and I hope it is Jesus Christ and nothing less. Thank you, Brother Daniel. This show would have never been what it is without you. Looking forward to you being up here next week. Amen. 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 Old brother Richard Daniel, and we're looking forward to being with you next week, and Lord from at the same time, the 8 o'clock hour to the 9 o'clock hour. Please call in and voice your opinion. And remember, black history is your history. God bless you. Have a great day in the Lord. Looking forward to seeing you. Thank you, Lord, brother Daniel. We'll talk later.